You're listening to another episode of Lords of Limited with your hosts, Ben Worney and Ethan Sachs. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Worney, and I am your host for this evening. And we've got with us our very first guest on Lords of Limited, Travis Semulin Sowers. Travis, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing wonderful, Ben. How are you? Doing well. Just got off a regional marching man competition yesterday. Band ended up in third place in like the southern half of the state, uh, which is awesome because that's generally where the stronger bands are. So putting us on track to be one of the top top three in the state. And I cleaned my apartment today and did a few drafts. Can't complain. How about you? That sounds like a good day. It was. It was a great day. I saw you played in the, the PTQ this morning. Yeah, I opened a, a pretty good deck and then managed to do the classic one-two drop and play something else day uh but such is the nature of of magic right variance is a, a cruel and sometimes unforgiving mistress it is your deck was like what white white green splashing vona i think is that what you ended up settling on yes i was doing white green splashing vona and i cited it in every match i should have just splashed the mark of the vampire to begin with the card's quite good in sealed i think it's quite good in draft too but i ended up bringing that in every match and it was very good when i resolved it yeah, card is just a house. So before we before we roll into the main part of our episode here, why don't you just uh, tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and and kind of kind of what's going on with you? Yeah, sure. As been mentioned, my name's Travis Sowers. I go by the name of Simulant on Twitch. I stream predominantly Magic. I play a lot of sealed. Uh, this format I've been playing a little bit more draft than usual. I occasionally dip into constructed as well. I've been playing Magic. Gosh, since I was 16, and I'm now pushing 40. So almost as long as there's been Magic, I've been playing Magic. My first uh, booster pack was actually revised. Oh, nice. That was my. Uh, that was when I started, too. Like, at the very end of revised like fourth edition was my first booster pack but you could still you could still find revised packs if you knew where to look okay yeah the first thing i did was trade a tundra for a shivan dragon which was a great <laughs> deal at the time <laughs> that was actually the very first rare i ever opened was a shivan dragon heck yeah that was worth money back then man yeah so how you've been playing magic you said since you were what 14 is that what you said 16 16 so almost 20 24 years Dang, I'm trying to think how long I've been playing. I've been playing since so a little bit less than you. I started when I was eight, I think, so maybe 20 years. So what are what are some of your goals with Magic? Well, I'd say the big one for me, more so than anything else, is to be a successful streamer, to have an audience that enjoys watching what I do. Like, I'm obviously looking forward to Magic Arena as well as playing Magic online. Uh, a lot of folks ask me, because I, I do typically play in competitive events, I'll play in the uh, Pro Tour preliminary qualifiers, and then stream the PTQs on the weekends, they're like, well, why don't you go to the paper events? You know, because it's it's a little easier to qualify through that. Sure. It's like, nobody can watch me do that. My goal isn't necessarily to get on the Pro Tour, although I would love to. I'd, I'd probably look at that as, like, great advertising for the stream. Uh, whereas I'd rather, like, the, the best I've done so far is losing in the, the finals. And by that, I mean the last round, the person who beat me went to the, the Pro Tour. Like, that was the highest viewership I'd, I'd have ever had. And I'd rather do that again than go win a PTQ, you know, at a, a local shop in Raleigh or whatever and not have anybody get to see it. So for me, it's it's more about the community. Like, I, I feel like I play cards all day and hang out with my friends. And it's it's just fantastic. I want to keep doing that. Yeah, that's the dream. I mean, I just in the little bit that I've been streaming here, kind of since I started in like April of this year, it's been really awesome to know that like when I come home from teaching or whatever, like I live in a pretty small, small town that I can get online and stream and like hang out with other people that care about what I care about, which is mm -hmm. really cool. So is your is your primary source of income from streaming then? It's just about the only source of income. This is what I do. 
I'm very fortunate to have picked up some sponsors and to have, although it's not the largest community in magic streaming, I have a very loyal community. Like they tune in every day and I've, I've got a good subscriber base. So yeah, this is what I do, man. This is my job. That's awesome. Yeah. I always get the, I get the Sem wave, the Sem Aloha cat wave from a lot of, <laughs> a lot of people and they come check out my stream. That's great. So yeah, that's a, that's a little bit about Simulan. Uh, we normally do a trophy leaderboard update. So uh, we'll check in on the number of drafts and sealed in the record for, for me and Travis here. Um, I've done 31 drafts with a total of 10 trophies. So trophying about one in three. I think I've been to the finals in over half my drafts. I think I've been to the finals 17 times. And I've got a 63 and 29 record for a 68% win rate, which is up considerably from our first two weeks of the podcast. Both uh, Ethan and I were struggling quite a bit in this format initially. And I think this week, thanks to the help of Ryan Sachs, uh, we've both kind of found our stride and kind of what, what we want to be doing in the format. How about you? Uh, I am up to eight trophies plus the streamer showdown win, which unfortunately doesn't count as a trophy, but works for me. I uh, have done 26 drafts, total record of 57 and 21 and I have a 73% win rate. Dang. The most spectacular part of this was eight two ones in a row. Jeez. Yeah, I felt like like at that point, like it finally ended with a 3-0, and o, but honestly, I'd have been happy with a 1-2. and two. Just to mix it up a little bit? <laughs> yeah, like I, I streamed for two solid days and only had two ones, and I was kind of going nuts. Yeah, it's frustrating, especially if you're getting to the finals and losing the finals, because nobody knows, since they started leagues and trophies, trophies seem to be kind of what drive like the leaderboard and things like that and it's an easy way to see how well you're doing in a format like how many trophies you have but i think mm-hmm. getting to the finals is pretty important too consistently i think so too and i'm actually glad that you had me do this for the podcast i'd never bothered to look up my own win rate i just figured if i'm not buying having to buy tickets i'm good to go yeah i think we initially I've, i'd never tracked my win rate before we started the podcast i think we we tried to do it because when we started, we don't really have any credentials other than that we're Twitch streamers. So like if we had a good win rate, maybe that would be a reason for people to listen to our advice. I think it was initially the, the thought process behind it. That's a great idea. It's nice to know that I actually do know what I'm talking about instead of just thinking that I do. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I dig it, man. <laughs> and then how about how about for Sealed? What's, what's going on with you there? Uh, for Sealed, I've done eight events. I didn't actually plug in the ones from the PTQ today, um, now that I think about it. But total of 38 games, 23-15 and 15 record for a 60.5% win rate. Uh, which, after I looked at those numbers, like initially I was like, why do I like draft so much more in this format than Sealed? When I looked at the numbers, I was like, oh, because when I play draft, I get to win more. That's way better. Yep, winning winning <laughs> is great. <laughs> winning is great, but for, for the stream that I'm doing, I still need to play in those preliminary Pro Tour qualifiers and stream the PTQs on the weekend. So I still do care about Sealed and put a lot of effort into making sure that I do that right. I've also probably built at least 15 Sealed pools on stream. Often viewers will come and ask me to build a pool with them, and I'm quite happy to do that. So I've built a lot of pools in this format as well. Yeah, that's very cool. I've watched I've watched that happen in your stream for sure. Um, and then we're going to check in on our XLN treasure hunt, uh, the achievement list Tupperware and I put out last week. People are getting busy with these. So quickly, I'm going to run down which ones have been crossed off here. Uh, Sir Mixalot, that's increased the attack power of your board by 20 with belligerent Brontodon. That was crossed off by a Twitch user named Generation D20. He's got a lot of these. Deck Pillage, that's mill your opponent out with Navigator's Ruin or Fleet Swallower without accidentally killing them. That was crossed off by Strix Familiar. 
uh, Gishath and Company. That's Refuel three dinosaurs off of Gishath. That was crossed off by Crash of Rhinos. I know she she follows your stream as well. She does. Pirate Mutiny. Sacrifice an opponent's creature to your own makeshift munitions. That's been crossed off by two. Rosa 2058 and Generation D20. He crossed that one off playing against Lord Tupperware. Bonus points there. Oh, nice. So crazy it just might work. Cast Blood Craze Paladin as a 7-7. Generation D20 made it a 9-9. Buried Treasure's been crossed off by a few people. That's win the game via the Revel and Riches alternate win condition. That's been crossed off by Sparrow's Rum. He's another partnered streamer. Been crossed off by your very own Lord Tupperware himself and DC Sports 8, the ever-present Twitch viewer. And he streams now, too. He does. I, I was actually convinced for a long time because every time I went into a Twitch channel, DC Sports was there. I was convinced for a long time and even said on stream that I thought he was a robot. <laughs> so when I went to GP Richmond, I was so happy to see this guy run up to me and say, I'm DC Sports. I'm DC Sports. I was like, okay, okay. Confirmed not a robot, but super <laughs> cool dude. Yeah. Uh, the Swarm Intelligence Memorial Award, which is copy and instant or sorcery with Primal Wellspring. Uh, that's been crossed off by Strix Familiar again and another streamer named Mr. Ducky. And Ultimate Jace, 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 Jace. Have four copies of Jace Cunning Castaway on the battlefield. That just got crossed off today by Crash of Rhinos. And When Dinos Fly, Kill Your Opponent with a Flying Ancient Brontodon. That's been crossed off by another streamer as well. Eh, dude, he always crushes the competitive leagues um, on Magic Online. So that's where we're at on the achievement list. And we'd like to take a seat at the round table now. So Semulin's going to do a draft here. This is one of my drafts. Uh, that I did earlier in the format, and I don't think I navigated it particularly well, and I think I know how I would do it better this time around, and I'm curious to see see where Travis is at here. Pack one, pick one. You see Contract Killing. That's the three black-black destroy target creature and make two treasure tokens at sorcery speed. Seeker Squire. That's the one and a black, one, two, explore. Raging Sword Tooth. Uh, it's three red-green for the five-five trample, and when it enters the battlefield, uh, it does one damage to everything. The dinosaur gold uncommon there. And Rowdy Crew, the Mythic Rare, 2 Red Red for the 3-3 Trample. Let's see if I know this card from memory. When it enters the battlefield, you draw three cards, discard two cards at random, and then if your two discarded cards share a card type, you put two plus one plus one counters on the Rowdy Crew. I think that's it. Nicely done, sir. That's exactly what it does. Yeah. So for me, I've had some success in draft, and I've had that success by trying to make my first few picks something that plays fine on its own. I'm not typically looking for anything that's particularly synergistic or a payoff card. I'm just looking for something that's good. So for me, I'm kind of going to flush out the Raging Sword Tooth immediately. I like the card a lot, and it often says vampire decks can't win. But <laughs> being a gold card, I'm just not willing to go in on that. It's also very big, which I like. Yeah, that makes sense. If we're going to look at a black card, we've got to decide, is Contract Killing better than Seeker's Squire? And although I don't necessarily think it is, I think the effect is less replaceable. Like, I can find a 2-drop. It may not be as good as Seeker Squire, which is a premium 2-drop, but it, it's it's somewhat difficult to find unconditional killing in this format, especially some that leaves behind some fixing and potential ramp. So I think this would come down to contract killing and rowdy crew for me currently. Uh-huh. And then I, I think I would have to edge in on the contract killing. I wouldn't hate the crew, and I've done a lot. Like I've, I've for whatever reason, I've opened Rowdy Crew a lot and played with the card a lot. And a lot of people get upset with it and look at it and think that it's bad that the effect can miss. That sometimes you'll discard the wrong cards, and it's like, well, that's kind of random. You can't control that. It's a format predominantly of hill giants, 
and it is a hill giant with trample. It's already good, and you're up a card when you play it. So I like the card, um, but again, I think I could probably find something along that level, um, whereas the contract killing is the most unique effect here. So I, th- I think I would go for the contract killing. Interesting. I would still, I took Rowdy Crew then, and I would still be on Rowdy Crew now, I think. I think a 3-3 draw card I think I'm higher on that than contract killing. I like contract killing quite a bit, but I found the five mana removal to be a little clunky in the format. I think my I think my pick order here would actually go Rowdy Crew, then Seeker Squire, then Contract Killing. I've been super happy with the two drop explore cards. I think Merfolk Branchwalker is the best of them, the one in a green for the two one that explores. Absolutely. Um and then Seeker Squire, if you hit a land, I think you're a little disappointed with the one two, but I mean if you need to hit your third land drop, I mean obviously it's great. It just makes your deck so much more consistent. But I do agree, removal is hard to come by in this format, and contract killing is certainly a good one. So on contract killing for Travis there, pack one, pick two here, you see unfriendly fire, four and a red, that's the instant speed, deal four damage to target creature or player. Shaper Apprentice, that's the one and a blue for the two-one merfolk that gains flying when you control another merfolk. Pirate's Cutlass, that's the artifact, three mana for an equipment. When it enters the battlefield, you must attach it to a pirate you control if you control a pirate. It's got an equipped cost of two, an equipped creature gets plus two plus one. And Dire Fleet Hoarder, that's one and a black for the two one pirate that when it dies, you get a treasure token. Okay, this one's a pretty easy pick for me. Um, And I should also mention, I have a tendency when I make my first few picks to just put them straight in the sideboard and not assume that I'm playing them just so that I don't get tunnel vision about one thing in particular. But this is a nice and easy one. I can take the Pirates Cutlass, put it in any deck, and have a bonus if I happen to have some Pirates. I've been super impressed with that card. I have already second-picked it. Would happily do so again. Yeah, that card is great. I incorrectly, I think, uh, second-picked Unfriendly Fire here to go along with my Rowdy Crew early in the format. Um, I wasn't quite on how good Pirates Cutlass was. Uh, And in hindsight now, I would take Pirates Cutlass 10 out of 10 times. If you caught me two weeks ago, I would have said the same thing. What I know now about Unfriendly Fire that I didn't then is that it's basically a flexible lava axe instead of an actual removal spell because it's not killing dinosaurs and you're always down mana if you're trying to kill something smaller. So it's not actually as great as it initially looks. And I thought Pirate's Cutlass needed to go with Pirates, but it kind of doesn't. It just needs to go in your deck. Yeah, it's great in every deck. I think it's best in Vampires, actually, and does, does some good stuff in Merfolk, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and you'll even play it on a dinosaur's deck. Just, just the there are so few mana sinks in the format that that and that being a good one, and the creatures are all so like the power level so flat among all the creatures that having the ability to to make your creatures outclass your opponents one by one is is a pretty big game. Yeah, agreed. All right, so Travis has got contract killing and a pirate's cutlass in his pile now. And pack one, pick three. He sees the following cards: New Horizons. That's two and a green for the enchant land. Um, and then when New Horizons enters the battlefield, you put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature you control, and then your land can tap to add two mana of any one color to your mana pool. Dive Down, this card has been overperforming and continuing to go up and up still in my estimation. A single blue for an instant. Target creature you control gets plus O, plus three, and gains Hexproof until end of turn. Uh, There's another Dire Fleet Hoarder here. That's the one in a black 2-1 that makes treasure. Colossal Dreadmaw, the big dino, four green green for the 6-6 Trample Dinosaur. And Lookout's Dispersal, that's two and a blue for the instant uh, that lets you counter target spell unless your opponent pays four mana. And if you control a pirate, it costs one less to cast. So one and a blue if you control a pirate. I do just have to mention that Dive Down is so much better than I initially thought it was going to be. It's great. Yeah, like one mana interaction in this format's very good. And I think the auras are also all very good in this format. So having the ability to protect your creature that you put an aura on is big game. 
Yeah, like I, I had somebody ask me why I was playing this in a blue-green deck where I also had the three mana plus three plus three and trample crash the ramparts. And I was like, well, this is going to win me a lot of the combats that that would, and it's also going to give me a one mana negate in certain scenarios. And I had an opponent just rage rage at me in chat. It was beautiful. I showed up to the stream. <laughs> we're like, I knew they were holding specifically unfriendly fire from the way that they were playing, and they were going to have to kill my god what's the spiked ceratops the 4-4 guy that can block multiple things oh yeah so like i was like you know if we're playing paper i'm just sliding this this island over to the side and man did they rage when i i dove it down the card's just great that said the pick for me here is probably the colossal dread maw if i can get again in a format of hill giants this is basically a two for one now i'm not guaranteed to get to play it but if I get to be in green, and if I can have a Colossal Dreadmaw or two, I'm going to be super happy about that. It doesn't really necessarily go with the Cutlass very well or the Contract Killing very well, because black-green is actually kind of difficult to get me into, and I don't really like the color pair. I think I've only played it twice, and once was when I opened Avraska. But the, the, the that, for me, is just clearly the most powerful card that we're looking at here. So I'm just going to take the good stuff and then see where we end up. Yeah, I I took uh, Dire Fleet Hoarder, so I would have had Rowdy Crew Unfriendly Fire into Dire Fleet Hoarder. I still think I would be on Dire Fleet Hoarder here, despite it being a way weaker card. I think two drops in the format have been pretty important, and I've not I've not been in love with green. I've not found much success with green. So if you've been having success with green, I would love to know what's been working about that for you. I've been taking Colossal Dread Malls early <laughs> and casting them. <laughs> yeah, and casting them. The card is bigger bigger than everything in the format. Yeah, if if you can get something like this, and then maybe wheel new horizons and like my two drops typically are not very good two drops i'm just looking for them to trade off with the opponent's two drops at that point but like the the two drops i'm looking for in green are usually the merfolk guy the deep root warrior and in even the zero three explore dude in green is pretty good but i've not really been prioritizing um two drops i've kind of been trying to pick up the removal spells and like the reasons to be in a color and then i'll just fill it out with whatever i can get sure absolutely all right, so Travis has now got Contract Killing, Pirates, Cullis, and Colossal Dreadmaw in his pile. And pack one, pick four, he sees Sky March Bloodletter. That's two and a black for the 2-2 flying vampire that drains your opponent when it enters the battlefield. Skyblade of the Legion, that's one and a white for the 1-3 vampire with flying. So maybe vamps is open. Uh, I see a couple vampires there. Drover of the Mighty, that's one and a green for the 1-1 one, one Human Druid, I believe, that when you control another dinosaur, it gets plus two, plus two, and it can tap to add one mana of any color to your mana pool. And then Chart a Course, the one in a blue sorcery, lets you draw two cards, discard a card, and if you triggered Raid, you do not have to discard a card. I, I think you could ignore your first three picks and just take the Drover of the Mighty. The card's very good. You don't even have to be in Dinosaurs. Like, you just put it in your Merfolk deck and cast your Air Elementals or whatever. It's great. Yeah, it's a very, very powerful card. Very clearly the most powerful card in the pack. Uh, that is also what I selected there. And then moving on to pack one, pick five. So Travis now has Contract Killing, Pirate's Cutlass, Colossal Dreadmaw, and Drover the Mighty in his pile. He sees another Sky March Bloodletter, the 2-2 Flying Vampire, Sailor of Means, uh, the 2 and a blue for a 1-4 Pirate that when it enters the battlefield you get a treasure token, a Run Aground, 3 and a blue for the instant uh, that puts target artifact or creature, I think, on top of its owner's library. Mm -hmm. uh ravenous dagger tooth the two and a green for a three two dinosaur that uh, has the enraged trigger of you gain two life and then ixalan's binding three and a white for the enchantment that uh, does an o-ring it exiles target non-land permanent and they cannot cast cards that share the same name with the exiled card underneath ixalan's binding yeah I, I, worth pointing out that we've seen our second blood letter and i think that card's quite good yes i agree 
Um, I've, I've played it in every black deck, as many as I could get, and was always happy with it. I, I don't think Ravenous Daggertooth is quite, like, it's a little out of its league with these other cards. So I'm kind of not interested in that. But I can't imagine getting a fifth pick Ixalan's Binding and not thinking, okay, we should be doing something with white. Yeah, it's a pretty big signal. Uh, is that what you're what you're going with there? Yeah, yeah. Lock me in, final answer. Yeah, that's that's also what I took as a signal. Um, and then pack one, pick six. So Travis now has Contract Killing, Pirate's Cutlass, Colossal Dreadmaw, Drover the Mighty, and an Ixalan's Binding. He sees Run Aground. That's three and a blue for the put target artifact or creature on top of its owner's library again. New Horizons, the enchant land that lets ramps you and puts a plus one, plus one counter on something again. Ixali's Diviner, that's one and a green for the O3 two-drop uh, that explores when it enters the battlefield. Pterodon Knight, that's three and a white for the 3-3 three, three Hill Giant that if you control another dinosaur, it gets flying. And finally, you see Siren Storm Tamer, that's the single blue mana for the 1-1 one, one flyer that's got the activated ability of single blue mana. Uh, sacrifice Siren Storm, Storm Tamer, counter target a spell or ability that targets you or a permanent you control. I've been actually really happy with Siren Storm Tamer. It's been very, very good in blue, yeah. Because one with the wind is so good, uh, and just having an onboard weight, when your opponent knows they have to have spend two removal spells to get your creature that you suited up with one with the wind off the board, it's just a pretty demoralizing feeling. While you're poking them for one a turn, like it's not irrelevant either, you know? Yeah, it's been great. And it triggers raid, like blue cares about raid a decent amount. Mm -hmm. So like, so far in my pile, I've got uh, a couple of good green cards, a good white card, a good black card. I'm probably just going to go with the Diviner here, the zero three 3 Explore dude. Mm -hmm. And I think be pretty happy with that. Uh, it, it blocks me if we end up doing dinosaurs things uh, against various grizzly bears. It can even hold back three ones potentially. And I'm relatively happy if it hits. Uh, it goes well in green-white specifically if we happen to get the butt fight dinosaur. Uh, so I, I think there's just a lot to like there. And this just kind of sets us solidly in green. We can see if we get some good high-value black cards and pair that with a contract killing I'd kind of prefer to go more towards the white side of things is, is like that's an actual tribe that we can do with the Ixalan's Binding. Uh, but I, I think I would just slam the Diviner here. Yeah, awesome. I actually ended up taking New Horizons thinking that maybe I was going to be able to get like a multicolor control deck going on with the New Horizons and the Drover the Mighty. Had a couple mm -hmm. high-powered cards, I thought at the time, in Unfriendly Fire and Ixalan's Binding. Um, and I actually ended up drafting kind of a mess. It kind of ended up being a Jund ramp deck it played out okay it was a 2-1 deck but it was it was nothing special so with the cards you've got in your pile you're hoping to go into blue uh, white green dinosaurs from there that would be my hope but at least green something and who knows after the first six picks like then you start to really see what's open and i'm i'm not unwilling to to jump ship right like if we see the uh three mana burn spell from red I'll probably take that next and be happy about it and settle into red-green dinosaurs. I think I'm probably pretty firmly in green, but I'd be willing to give on the other color. Yeah, for sure. And one of the things I've experienced, and I'm curious if you have as well, that it's it's sometimes hard to move late, like past pick six to abandon ship because there's the playables aren't super deep in the format. Have you, have you had that happen to you at all? Uh, no, you can make the excuse that it's hard to move, but as soon as you recognize that you should move, just move. It's fine. There's like... Two and a half more packs of cards. Yeah, there's not as many playables here as before because you have to build for synergy rather than raw power level. But like if, if I see a signal pick seven, um, like let's say that it's it's pick seven and we see something like Drover of the Mighty and I've been drafting vampires. It's like, okay, I need to be green. If this made it through seven people, six people to get to me, I need to just take this card and switch gears and it'll be fine because I'm going to get all... It, it's not... 
is Drover of the Mighty better than the black and white cards that I have? It's is Drover of the Mighty and all the other good green I'm going to see better than those cards? And I think the answer more often than not is yes. Like, I'm very willing to make that switch. Usually when I do, it means I don't end up with much of a sideboard, but I end up with a better deck. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a pretty important distinction, what you said there, where you're taking that card plus all the other future picks you're going to get into consideration versus what you've already got what you've already got, and maybe are getting cut out of. So like the, the risk reward versus future opportunity versus maybe getting cut if you're not in the right place. I mean, I kind of look at pack one, pick one as flirting. Pack one, <laughs> pick three is like first date. Pack one, pick five is as maybe we're going steady. And I, I'm not ready to get married until pack two. That's hilarious. <laughs> I don't know that I've ever heard that analogy before. I know they did a, did a little bit on limited resources, but I don't think quite that quite that clearly there. That's, that was great. Um, all right, so we're going to talk about some sealed. Uh, before we before we dive straight into Ixalan sealed, just kind of what's your what's your general approach to when you sit down to build a sealed pool? Sealed is fantastic. It's one of my favorite formats, and it, it reminds me of when I first started playing Magic. And it's me and three or four of my buddies. And we just have the cards we have. And we're trying to build the best decks to beat each other with what we've got. And I've not found another way to kind of reclaim that that feeling. It is also the competitive format for limited. If you ever want to draft competitively, you have to play sealed first. Right? I, know Unless, I know, it's such a drag. <laughs> yeah, well, some people think of it that way. But I actually think it's a lot of fun. So the, the first step for me, and I actually got a lot of this from my good friend Martin Brunet... Uh, we've done some team sealeds together. Uh, we ca- I think we actually got 23rd at team sealed GP DC a while back. But uh, the step one, I want to go through and separate all the colors. Okay. And then I want to make three piles per color. Pile number one is the cards that I, 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 I'm almost assuredly not going to play, right? Like cards that are just bad or cards that are strictly sideboard. Demystify is an example. Like I'm, I'm just not going to play that, right? Right. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Pile two are cards that I can play, but like I'm not really excited about it. So in sealed, something like Skyblade of the Legion probably goes in this pile. Something like Seeker's Squire, even though it's it's a very good card, it's not like oh my god, we opened a Seeker's Squire, we've got to play black. Right. It's just a good card that if you're in black is going to make your deck a lot better. Exactly. And then the the last step is the cards that make me want to be that color. Typically, these are your removal spells. But you also need to be on the lookout for cards that can kind of just win the game on their own if you resolve them and they don't mess with it. I don't exactly know the names of all the cards because I tend to make a lot of nicknames up while (laughs) I'm streaming and we end up with some interesting ones. But the Sarah Vampire, you know what I'm talking about. Three white white for the four four, you can play life to give it vigilance and or flying. Yes, absolutely. If I can land that and my opponent doesn't mess with it, I'm likely to win the game. So like those are my reasons to be in a color. And once I've got all of that separated, I'm going to look at what two what what two color pair gives me the most of those cards that I want to play, and then try to fill out the deck from there. That's a very basic starting guide, but that's that's how I'm starting. And do you have you built sealed pools in real life as well? Like it's a lot easier to like sort and click through things on Magic Online, et cetera, et cetera. Have you have you gone through uh, building in real life, and do you use that exact same approach? Yes, yes to both. When I'm at a pre-release or when I'm at a GP, I do it the exact same way. You've got enough time when you're doing it in paper, and it's not actually that difficult. Uh, If space is a concern, you can kind of lay down the first stack of cards that you're not really going to play, right? Like the white cards that are just garbage, where they're facing up and down from you. Then take the stack of cards that are going to be your filler, but your playables, 
and face them where they're facing left to right from you on top of the other pile and then take your reasons to be that color and put them on top of it, again, facing up and down from your perspective. And that lets you kind of see at a glance which pile has the most cards in which area. So like I can be like, okay, I've got five white cards that I want to play, but almost no white filler. Two green cards that I want to play, but 11 green filler cards. Maybe we can look at white green. Yeah, that makes sense. Excellent. And one of the one of the most striking things about Seal that that happened for when I when I very first interacted with you, I was I was going to uh, GP Indie and I popped into your channel and I was just trying to get a sense of the format and what was good and what what a good deck looked like. And you were playing a deck that I thought looked pretty good. And I I typed in chat like, hey, what 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 score would you give this deck out of ten? And you were like, well, I don't I don't really like to rate decks per se. Like I I like to in seal judge how well you built your pool so did you build your pool a 10 out of 10 or did you arrive at a suboptimal build and maybe you only built your pool like a 7 out of 10 that really struck a chord with me um, because i like to focus on things that are in my control and obviously you have no control over you know what kind of cards you open you, the only thing you have control over is building the best possible deck with your cards so i thought that was a really interesting outlook you had yeah, like the last limited PTQ that I top aided, it was with a deck that I think somebody in the beginning said, you may as well just drop and draft today. Like it, it wasn't a good pool, but even the worst pools can win. So like why focus on I opened a crap pool or I opened a bomb pool? Like opening a good pool doesn't guarantee you a win and opening a garbage one. Yeah, if I'm at the local game store and my wife wants to go see a movie, I'm probably going to cash that one in and go see the movie, right? <laughs> sure, but like, yeah. If I've driven five hours to go to a GP and I open a pool that doesn't look particularly good, we got to make something out of it. So I, I tried to shift my focus away from the, that luck factor of did I open a good pool or not to did I do the best that I could with it. And in the example this morning, I should have had Mark. I should have been splashing for that Mark of the Vampire. So that build that I had was a, a nine out of ten or worse because it would have been better if I had included that card in the main deck. And like that gives me something that I can focus on and change between games and be like, okay, here's what I can do different next time. So that, that, that's my thing. I'll, I'll rate a sealed pool, but it'll be on how close is it to the optimal build. Yeah, I think that's really good. And I think Magic players in general with sealed, or at least people that like to draft a lot and don't enjoy sealed as much, tend to focus on how good the pool they opened was, myself included. Um, and that was a really eye-opening moment when you when you said that to me because... It's just perfectly logical. It makes perfect sense. There's no reason to whine or moan about the pool you open. You're going to play Magic. You traveled somewhere. You've got to make the best deck possible. So why not? Why not focus on that? Um, so what are what are some of the differences you found between sealed and draft? The biggest difference is how synergy based a format is. Will will tell you how far away draft and sealed are going to be. And I think Emonket and Hour of Devastation are actually two of the better examples of this in recent memory. Emonket Draft was all about synergy uh, because aggro decks are basically synergy decks. It's the synergy of having one and two drops and combat tricks and ways to augment them, right? Yeah. So like you could pick up enough of those that that was your deck and that's what you're doing. But in Emonket Sealed, it was nothing like that. You did not open enough of those one and two drops to be able to make an aggro deck very often. You could still do it about 15% of the time, but Emonket Sealed by the end became far more of how many Gifts of Paradise did you open? So like generally speaking, sealed decks are going to have a wider gap in power between the cards. Imagine draft as being relatively flat, but all of the cards are working together towards a single goal. Whereas in Sealed, there's a huge spike in the power level of cards. You've got some garbage that you're playing and just hoping you can trade it for a card, any card that your opponent has. 
And then your bombs are probably, generally speaking, Ixalan, not quite like this, but most sealed formats, you will have stone-cold bombs that you just need to play. Because if you slam that Glorybringer, what are they going to do? Like, I splashed for Glorybringer off of two Gifts of Paradise at a GP, and it was great. Right, yeah. So I think that's the biggest difference, is the decks usually in sealed are more powerful, but less focused. Yeah, that makes sense. How do you make sure in sealed, I know I've heard you talk about this on stream too, how do you make sure you build a good mana base in sealed when you're playing multiple colors and avoid maybe playing like the devil's mana base, the 666? (laughs) Yeah, a lot of people have trouble with this one and think because it's sealed that it's just okay. They're like, well, I don't have enough playables in blue-green, so I'll just run, you know, these five red cards. And that's just not acceptable unless you have any fixing. Now, if you've got a lot of pirates that make treasure and you've got some of the land before time, New Horizons, I believe the card's actually called, sure, build a, build an interesting mana base and go something like, like that. But if, you, if my rule of thumb is if you don't have fixing, you can't splash, period. Yeah, that seems, that seems like a good rule of thumb. Yeah, and like I've seen, I've, I've certainly lost to decks that just had atrocious mana bases as far as I know, for all I know, the last two cards in their deck were Evolving Wilds, right? But, like, I didn't see any fixing, and they were playing straight three colors. I'm never going to do that. Because, like, usually when I'm playing these tournaments, it's because I want to win them. Right. Well, so when I was when I was a younger Magic player, and, you know, I, I knew what a splash was. Like, people talked about splashing. But, you know, I think back in the day, like, when I was, you know, maybe in high school or something, and I would draft or whatever, we would play sealed. Like, seven, we would play 7-7-3. Seven, seven, like, and we wanted, because we knew we wanted three sources for our splash. Like, we'd heard that somewhere. Like, that also probably pretty unacceptable, you think? No, I think that's fine. About three sources for a splash is good. But then do you think you're hurting your two main colors too much, only having 7-7 seven and seven in, that, in that type of situation? Or do you think that that's something you can get away with? I'd almost never do that. Like one of those colors I'm going to be leaning on for two drops. And if I like, it's a disaster. If you've probably heard me talk some on, on my other podcast, as well as on the stream about mulliganing, if you have to mulligan and limited, you're throwing away 10 percentage points. Like I never want to do that. And building a seven, seven, three mana base is a great way to make sure that you have to mulligan. Like I, I just don't want to do that. Whatever color I'm leaning on for two drops, I need to have at least eight sources, preferably nine. Yeah, that's a that's so funny you mentioned that. That's that was actually the very first. I remember when the very first time I went to your channel, uh, like within thirty seconds of me being in there, you were like, "What am I supposed to do here? Mulligan or not? Let's do the math. We're gonna play magic by the math. That's what we do do here at this channel. Uh, like you're very, you seem to be very like odds oriented, very spiky, and very logical about how you're approaching your decision making process. And and that's the thing here. Like if if I'm building a deck in such a way that it's gonna make me mulligan more often because I can't cast the spells. And I know that generally speaking, there's a lot of math behind this and I know we don't want to get into it here, but generally speaking, if I click that mulligan button, I'm throwing away 10 percentage points. I want to make sure I build a deck that doesn't have to do that very often. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So do you have any specific approaches? Obviously you're playing a lot of sealed, like when each new format comes out, because that's the PTQ format and you're going to play in those PTQs on, on Sundays. Uh, Do you have any specific method for how you try to figure out like what's optimal or quote what works in any given sealed format? The main thing for me is to try to avoid gimmicky cards or cards that that need to combo out to win. And there's a lot of neat combos in this format, and it's a lot of fun when you're able to assemble them or get two copies of one of them. And whatever the format is, there's always something like that where you kind of you build the machine and then you draw the two cards and you put it together and it's awesome. And that just tends not to win sealed games. So any sort of like 
weird combo a card, I usually don't use it. And I'll have people in chat say, you know, well, you have card A, card B is so good with it. Like, yeah, but card A is really good on its own and it doesn't need card B. But if I draw card B, it's kind of terrible. Without card A, yeah. Exactly. So I, I want to avoid that. So I, I tend to come in pretty conservatively, try to evaluate the cards just on a power level. One of the things I do whenever I do a set review, I, I have a stream viewer, Zombub, who is fantastic. He did this last time, but if he doesn't do it, I'll have somebody do it. Make a spreadsheet of the average power and toughness of a format. So like when I went into this format, I knew that it was a format of Hill Giants. Oh, yeah, that's a really good idea. Already knowing that, I can look at the removal spells and say three damage is great. Four damage doesn't do much more than three because most of the stuff I want to kill is three. So I could evaluate creatures, you know, size based off of that knowledge that we're looking at a format of, you know, four mana three threes. Yeah, that's excellent. So diving in specifically to Ixalan, do you have any like thoughts about this format that can help help listeners that are sitting down, you know, maybe for their PPTQ, trying to get to that PPTQ stage that you play every week or that already have qualified and are going to sit down next Sunday on their PTQ? Do you have any advice for them? Yeah, absolutely. A big part of Ixalan when you're drafting, and, and you've experienced this too, I'm sure, like it's not just about figuring out what colors open, right? No, it's about tribe too, or what, like what plant like i found that my decks that have like a very focused plan have done the best exactly so you know i have to be in if i'm in blue green i also need to be specifically in merfolk right like if i'm getting some great blue pirates and some awesome green dinosaurs i'm probably at a bit of a disadvantage against the opponent who's playing white black and has very focused vampire synergies right yeah so the first thing that you want to do in ixalan sealed deck is is do that split out like i mentioned before but then also look at those synergy cards because there's some cards that will go from almost completely unplayable to amazing on your, in your deck, depending on how many friends you have with it. Uh, Deacon of the Anointed is probably the best example of a card that has huge spikes in power level. If you put that in a, a deck with 10 other vampires, it's great. If it's the only vampire in your deck, it, it's it's awful. Right, it's really not very good at all, yeah. Yeah, so like from what I've seen so far, about 10% of the Ixalan sealed pools that you open actually do have some powerful synergy engines like that going for them. So make sure that you're aware of that and looking at it. Assuming it's not there, and most of the time it won't be, you kind of have to ignore some of this tribal synergy and just look for the most powerful cards on their own. I would also suggest that if you're playing Ixalan sealed, one of the things that I've I've found very interesting in this format is that the creatures in the non-dinosaur tribes are kind of a power level that we might have seen three or four years ago. And then that's made up for because they synergize so well. Right. Whereas the dinosaurs are just normal magic creatures that we're used to these days. They're big. They're efficiently costed creatures. And there's there's really no downside for them. Like the synergy of playing dinosaurs is there were some cards that worked nicely with them, but you didn't necessarily need them. That kind of makes dinosaurs the boogeyman in Ixalan Sealed. So e- either you have a good dinosaur deck... And I've had some, or you have a deck that's mostly hill giants and you're going to go up against decks like yours and dinosaur decks. Make sure you have a plan for dinosaurs because you will see them. Right. Colossal Dreadmaw seems like it would be a very good card in sealed to open. Yeah, it's it's in the pile of reasons to be green when I'm sorting out my sealed pools. Yeah. So do you have any like maybe for, for people that don't play a lot of sealed off the top of your head, do you have any cards like that that go into those piles at the common level like that you're going to see draft in and draft out? Or not draft in and draft out, sealed pool in and sealed pool out? <laughs> um, yeah, let me pull up a, a card image gallery and I can point some out for us real quick, especially the commons. 
Yeah, that'd be that'd be great. I think like knowing uh, certainly like it's it'll be easier to tell too. Like people generally know which uncommons and rares are good. But if you don't play a lot of sealed, knowing which commons or reasons to pull you into a color, I think that could be could be super helpful. Yeah, let's let's run down the list here real quick. I'm going to specifically look at at commons that go in that pile. Legion's Judgment is one that I want exactly one of in my main deck, and then I'll note how many I have in my side deck. Paladin of the Bloodstained is another overperforming white card. It's a format of hill giants. This gives me something that trades with a hill giant and leaves behind a token. So I'm, I'm usually pretty happy with that. The token also carries Pirate's Cutlasses very well. If you can give that equipment Lifelink or Flying or Trample or whatever, it's going to get better. Uh, Pious Interdiction, people probably figured that one out. Yeah. I, I think those are the primary ones, although Territorial Hammer Skull is also in that pile for white. But that only if you have an aggressive deck, right? The card's not great if you're if you're not planning on being aggressive. It's not great, but if you're running three two drops, you can have an aggressive draw with it. And it can even act as like let's say we get to parity and we're at parity because they have a six six and I have a board of hill giants against their board of hill giants. There may come a point where I turn that curve or draw a combat trick or something that will let the hammer skull survive. So even if I'm not particularly aggressive, I'm still playing hammer skulls if I'm white. Okay, that makes sense to me. But but you're right, it does get a nod towards it's certainly better if we're being aggressive. There's a little bit of a challenge for blue and that most of the reason to play blue comes from synergies rather than individual card levels. I actually can't think looking through here of a common that makes me interested in blue, although I will note how many Sailor of Memes that I have because that will let you splash some other cards. Yeah, that and Prosperous Pirates are pretty big game in Sealed, aren't they? Like for the for the ability to to let you splash like if you if you open a good pool with high powered level cards like of, across multiple colors like rares or uncommons those give you the ability to play like a five color base blue deck i know i've heard uh, mj michael jacob talking about that a little bit yeah absolutely i have i have certainly played that one too and i think the wa- water tap weaver also kind of belongs in that camp as well of co- commons that pull you into blue mm-hmm. i mentioned anointed deacon again that only goes if you have vampires but for black obviously the removal spells Contract killing um, being probably the headliner there. Uh, The one that destroys a creature with three or less power. Oh, Vanquish the Weak? Yeah, a a little less exciting, although still something that I'm going to play. It not being able to kill a dinosaur is a problem, but it can kill most of the little stuff that matters. I found any sort of evasion to be pretty good, so not to poop on blue too much. There are some common flyers, and I would take those. But Dire Fleet Interloper is one that I quite like a lot in black. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that, I have, that would not be very intuitive to me. So you think that that's a reason to play black? I think it's a, a reason in sealed. Like it, I, like three of them aren't gonna like have me jumping through hoops, but I'm interested in it. And I mentioned Mark of the Vampire. Oh God, that card's so good. It's just very good, especially in sealed. And then Skullduggery. I've I've gotten so many good exchanges off the back of a Skullduggery. Oh yeah, that that card overperforms as well. One mana, the ability to two for one. It's great. Or, or win a combat, pick off an X1. Yeah, just so versatile for one mana. In red, I would note that the first Fire Cannon Blast is of interest to me. Any additional copies I will probably play, but I'm not overly excited about. Again, because they're, they're kind of killing hill giants, but not necessarily bigger stuff. And bigger stuff may be what I'm actually having a problem with. Right, and if they have the bigger stuff, you can't attack into it without throwing away a creature to trigger the raid. Mm-hmm. Um, I had saved this as an answer to one of the, the viewer questions, but I'll mention it here. Rummaging Goblin is is really in that second pile, but it's awful close to the top pile because it's just fantastic and sealed. Once you've hit your fifth or sixth land in most decks, you don't need them anymore, and being able to cash them in 
is fantastic. So I've, I've been super happy with goblins when I'm playing red. And the games are going to go a little bit longer and sealed as well, generally, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, we already mentioned Colossal Dreadmaw for green. Uh, Deep Root Warrior is something that I'm interested in. If I've got two or, God forbid, three of these, they can be impossible to block for some decks for a long time. Yeah, and what about what about Grazing Whiptail, the two green green for the three four <gasps> reach? Is that a reason to play green and sealed? It kind of is, man. I would imagine it's a pretty good blocker. It's a fantastic blocker. It's even a decent attacker. Like, again, we're looking at a world of hill giants, right? Like, nothing attacks through this thing. It can block just about all of the flyers that you're interested in. I think only Air Elemental can force through it. Yeah. Um, I do always keep an eye on how many New Horizons I have as well, uh, just because sometimes I'm going to get into to multiple uh, color shenanigans with that particular card. Yeah, that makes sense. That's that's super awesome. Thank you for doing that. So we've got we've got some uh, listener questions here. Uh, Ryan Sachs wants to know how often you find yourself double splashing in Ixalan sealed. So like being base two colors, like say maybe base black red, and then like splashing a white and a blue card or something, for example. Out of eight events, I think I've done that twice. So maybe like tw- that's a very small sample size, but twenty five percent of the time there. Yeah, it, it is a very small sample size, but it, it's going more towards uh, what you had mentioned as far as a multicolor blue deck or blue-green s- splashing like a Pious Interdiction and a Mark of the Vampire, for example. Like, I've certainly done that. And that's enabled in this format in particular because of the treasure tokens. So, like, if I'm playing... I've played blue-black and splashed, I think, red and white in it for one card... And I believe I was actually using treasure as my only sources. I had six treasure producers. Ooh, that sounds nice. Yeah, it was great. So that, that rolls right into another another listener question here from DC Sports 8, which says, Travis, how many treasure makers do you need to splash a single colored card, like Charging Monster Sword? Three. So, and what, then how does that fluctuate? Like, let me, let me add on to that. So let's say you're like base, let's say you're base blue-green, and you've got like a couple Sailor of Means and a Prosperous Pirates. So you've got like maybe four treasure makers, like how, how many off-colored cards, like when you start getting into multiples, like how many treasure producers do you want or how many, how many cards do you need to limit yourself? Like, you, cause you can't just go nuts. Like you can't say like with three treasure makers, okay, I've got my three sources. I can do whatever I want because they're, they're not uh, reusable. Right. Mm-hmm. And you have to also recognize that treasure is doing two things for you in this format. One is ramping you and the other is fixing you. So if you're using it to fix, you cannot use it to ramp. So look at the casting cost of your deck and say, how interested is this deck in getting to six or seven mana? If it's not particularly interested except for the splash cards, then go ahead and do it, man. But like generally for me, I want three free sources to be able to splash a card. I want four free sources to splash two cards. If I can have five free sources, and by that I mean three treasure producers and two gifts of paradise, for example, then I can play three or four cards if we're going beyond that, we're not splashing anymore. We're just playing a multicolor deck. So right. usually when I think about splashing, I'm like, okay, I have a pious interdiction and I want to play that in my blue-black pirates deck. I have four treasure producers. Do I need a planes? No, you don't need a planes. As long as the deck isn't going to need to use that treasure for something else. If it's a deck that's also running a bunch of six drops for some reason, then you know you might want to reconsider that. Right, where there's an awkward tension of like you have you have the white card in your hand, but you also know you want to ramp out the six drop, and you're gonna to have to choose between the two. Like, yeah, that that sounds like a place you don't want to be. Yeah, you want to avoid that. I'm still a little fuzzy on like let's say you've only got treasures. Like you're trying to play five color blue, and I don't really know what this looks like because I figured you know you playing sealed. I was I thought about doing a sealed today, and I was like, what am I gonna get out of doing one sealed event? So I, I settled for drafting <laughs> and watching you and uh, Michael Jacob play some sealed today. 
let's say you're blue and you're trying to splash and you've got three sailor of means and two prosperous pirates you you open commons very well how many off-color cards can you play off of those cards like with five five treasure producers seven total treasure tokens what do you, what do you think that enables you to do i would say probably two comfortably three if you want to push it because again i mentioned that i kind of want four sources for two cards right yeah and and that's exactly what these are it doesn't matter that the cards aren't the same color because you're you're splashing is essentially fixing you for whatever color you want so i i would look at it as almost as if you're splashing a single color and view the sources that way, and then just play whatever you want for the splash. If you're only fixing is through treasure, then it, it doesn't really matter that you're splashing a white card and two red cards in your blue-black deck, because the fixing will allow you to cast all of them. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. And so does does the, like, if you're trying to splash double-colored cards, does that get tougher off of just treasures? Like, how, how does that work in your mind? Like, if you're, I don't know, can you can you splash trying to think of a double colored card i'd really want to play like can if you're not red green can you splash the red green uncommon off of treasure like the five five trample dinosaur raging sword tooth sure that guy i can certainly splash what i can't splash is a colossal dread maul why do you say that uh, double colored in the casting cost that's the same color i'm not going to be able to fit in the mana base now there is an exceptional pool that will do that where you've opened up, for example, three of the Land Before Time cards. New Horizons, sorry, nicknames. <laughs> um, and and I, I will equate that to splashing a Glorybringer in Hour of Devastation Sealed where you had a couple of the the Exert Nagas that tapped for double colors and, and Gifts of Paradise proper. So you can do that there. But if I'm playing green or red and I have the red-green dinosaur, that's relatively easy to fit in there with, with minimal fixing. But I, I don't typically tr try to splash double-colored cards. If it's super powerful and you can't imagine playing the deck without this card in it, then just play that color. Yeah. So so how about like how about a different example? How about if you've got two prosperous pirates and a contract killing in your base blue black deck? Would that make you feel comfortable splashing something like a colossal dreadmaw? Like those those one shot double treasure token makers? We can consider it. Um I'm still wondering what the rest of the deck is trying to do. Cause usually like those double treasure producing guys, I'm looking to like enable some sort of ramp strategy or something to do with that mana. Sure, yeah. I, I just didn't know if like if that felt comfortable to you or if you thought that was clunky or risky or unnecessarily risky or if that was just a safe place to be i actually think it's relatively safe i i guess i hadn't wrapped my head around the fact that if that's all the fixing i have and i've got it specifically earmarked for fixing right like i understand i cannot use this treasure for anything else unless i've drawn duplicate treasure before i've drawn the dread mall then yeah you could probably get away with that Right, as long as you know, because treasure also lets you sometimes double spell, like in a single turn, like if you want to use your treasure for that too, like beyond just ramping you, like on turn five, if you've got a couple treasure laying around, you can play a three drop and a four drop sometimes as well. Which is a huge point in the game, or, you know, play it and leave up a removal spell or a combat trick. Yeah, absolutely. So we've got another question here from MMP5BF, that's his Twitch username, and he wants to know, Travis, is it more important to play good cards in Ixalan Sealed, or do you try to build around synergies? I would say if you have the synergies and they're good, right? Like if you have synergies that you're like, this looks like kind of a medium draft deck, you should probably go for it. That's going to be great and sealed. However, you're not often going to have that. So again, some some sort of payoff card. I'm trying to think of the, the name of the black vampire that drains people. Uh, Sanctum Seeker, the rare? Uh, Bishop of the Bloodstained. That's the oh, one yeah, thing. Yeah. If it doesn't drain them, it just uh, domes them for each vampire you control. So something like that. 
with five vampires isn't actually all that good in sealed. Like you're kind of overpaying for a hill giant that might ping your opponent for two or three damage when you play it. And that's not super exciting. Right. So like, don't try to force synergies in there just because you're like, oh, I, I got a card that is a vampire payoff and I've got a couple of vampires. That's probably not going to cut it. So I think I would err on the side of play good cards. But in this format in particular, since we're talking about Ixalan, make sure that you're checking out those synergies and like, I'd hate for somebody to open a really good vampire deck and then be like, well, Travis said to play the good cards, so I'm just going to play the dinosaurs and the white spells. If the synergy's there, by all means, play it. It's just in my experience so far, it's it's not usually there as often in sealed. So I'm really looking for those cards that are just kind of better on their own. Right. So this this is probably a pretty hard question to answer, but let's say you've got a good white black vampires deck that looks a little more like a draft deck. And you've got the option to play like a more dirtily multicolor splashing deck with more powerful cards. Like, do you have a sense of which one of those is intrinsically better in the format at all? I would guess that if you have the synergy and you have a plan for when your opponent plays a six, six, that you should play the synergy deck. Okay. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just very curious about that with it being a synergy based format. Well, you know, we came, we came from M and Cat where there were certain cards that your opponent could play and you just, you, you couldn't realistically win the game after they were resolved. Most of the gods, Glorybringer, come to mind. There were several other rares that were just very difficult to deal with. And I think a big facet of that was because variance was being eliminated from those limited matches due to cycling being in the game, that we had to have higher power spikes in the cards so that a, a less skilled player could still win sometimes. Leaving that and moving to this format, it's almost a build-your-own-rare format, right? Like, you just don't open that level of bombs very often. There's just not that many in the set. However, with the synergy, you can kind of make something that's that powerful. So if you've opened that synergy, you've kind of built your own glory bringer. If you didn't, then you're just going to need to go with the big stuff and the good removal spells. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, so Sunbeetle707, this is our last listener question we've got here, wants to know, Travis, what are the top five cards in Ixalan that are good in draft, but bad in sealed, or vice versa? You know, I, I think we've actually covered a good bit of these, but my number one one is Rummaging Goblin. When I've played in draft, I'm pretty happy to have one of those in my sideboard because most of my red decks in draft are aggressive leaning, and I'm not really interested in having a three-mana 1-1 in my deck. But in sealed, I'm actively interested in a rummaging goblin. The first time you activate it, you're not getting value yet. Uh, It's the second time that you're activating it that value starts to churn. And I'm at the point now where if my opponent plays a rummaging goblin and I have a premium removal spell, I will kill it. I will kill it as soon as I possibly can. Right, because it potentially represents three or four cards over the course of a longer game. Yeah, if you're not going to win the game in the next turn or two, this is going to essentially draw them somewhere around four or five cards. And then it can still chump block towards the end of the game and loot, or excuse me, rummage one more time or carry a sword and attack you. Like, there's a lot of flexibility in having that body. So, like, I think Rummaging Goblin is very good in sealed. And, I mean, it's it's okay to play it in draft, but I'm, I'm never particularly excited about it. I mentioned Anointed Deacon, and I also put in here Commune with Dinosaurs. This kind of just goes to the point about synergy, right? Like, I've played draft decks that were 16 lands and two copies of Commune with Dinosaurs, because, you know, I had 13 dinosaurs in the deck. It was just better than a land as long as I was running nine forests. Right. It's essentially a split split land creature in a dedicated dinosaur deck. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, very good. You get into sealed and, and like you're like, well, I've got four dinosaurs, so I'll play 16 lands and two commune with dinosaurs. It's like that kind of doesn't make sense anymore. Right. And the, the deacon kind of goes with the same problem. If, if it's in my white black deck, 
with you know 12 other vampires, it's going to be great. But if it's in my black green sealed deck that has two other vampires, it's it's not something I'm going to be as interested in. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I'm, I put Legion's Judgment in here as well. I think I mentioned that one earlier as well. I, I don't typically main deck one of those in draft, although I'm happy to have one in my sideboard. Whereas in sealed, I, I actively want to main deck one just because people are going in on the enchantments to pump something and this will let me kill them or they'll have dinosaurs. And then I'm not unhappy to have a second in the sideboard and bring it in quite often. Yeah, that, that makes perfect sense to me. I'm, all, I'm in the same spot. I'm not main decking it in draft, but it seems like the first copy would be pretty good in sealed. And then Colossal Dreadmall was the other one that I mentioned here. Um, I think it's actually pretty good in draft, but it, it's, it's like a bomb in sealed. It's just the biggest thing on the planet and very difficult for anyone to interact with. And does, does having Colossal Dreadmalls in your deck make you want to put combat tricks in your deck more since people are going to be incentivized to double block it a lot of the time if they don't have removal spells? Or do you think it's just, is that the, the card A is good, card B makes card A better scenario? A lot of the combat tricks in this format kind of suck. So, like, I'll still play them. I particularly like the white one. Uh, one mana for plus two, plus two is a pretty good rate. Whereas uh-huh. the, the ones from all the other colors are just a little bit too too expensive for me to get excited about. So I'm not going to prioritize combat tricks because I have them. What I will do is prioritize trading off to keep the board as, as close to empty as I can get it. So that when I play a 6-6, six, six, all they have is one hill giant left. They're under a, a colossal amount of pressure, you might say. <laughs> oh, I see what you did there. Yeah. <laughs> The band director in me loves puns. Yeah, so I think uh, that's a that's a kind of a good place to wrap up. We also have uh, Michael Jacob. I know you watch his stream, and I do a little bit too. He posted on Twitter recently a picture of his spreadsheet that he uses that's all of his stats. Uh, and he's done over 132 matches. And a- according to his spreadsheet tracking there, uh, Boros, Demir, and Simic have been performing the best for him. Um, and I think this, the, a lot of Demir and Simic are, would be like the base blue decks with, with Sailor of Means and Prosperous Pirates that are splashing multiple colors off those treasure cards. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it seemed like he, he most often played Simic or Gruul. Those seemed like his two most, most played. And that's probably what you were talking about where like he's, he's got dinosaurs and he's playing good cards and splashing good cards. And then all of the other color pairs have like, you know, five, 10 times he's played them um, where he got those synergy decks that you were talking about. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, maybe 10% of the time you're going to run into that. So I'll, I'll post that uh, Imgur link if people are interested in that in the show notes uh, to see what's been working for him as well. So next episode, next week, we're probably going to dive more into draft. You'll be back with Tupperware and I. As usual, thank you to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Uh, just a reminder, uh, we've got our treasure hunt achievements posted. If you want to find links to those, you can check out my stream or Lord Tupperware's stream, and we've got uh, links to those in our chat. If you want to do that, uh, you can tweet at Lords of Limited and hashtag them with an XLN treasure hunt. It's super fun to get those on Twitter. Uh, it's like it's hilarious. Like every every few hours, I log on to Twitter, and there's a new new screenshot there of somebody crossing off another achievement. It's great. So please keep those coming. If you do not do the twittering, uh, you can email us screenshots at Lords of Limited at gmail.com. So as a reminder, if you complete five of those on your own, you get entered into a giveaway for four draft sets of Ixalan. And for each one we accomplish as a listener base, we're going to do a combined Lords of Limited stream with Ethan and I for that amount of hours. So we're already up to, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. We're already up to a nine-hour stream. That is awesome in the first week. So congrats to you guys. That's going to be super fun. Uh, and where where people can find us on Twitter and Twitch, uh, Ethan is at Lord Tupperware. I'm at Mr. Metronome. Uh, same thing on Twitch. And Ethan also has a YouTube channel. Check that out. Give him a, a like or a subscribe or whatever it's called over there. If you have not, he's very close to 100 to getting his own 
uh, URL address. How about you, Travis? Where can people find you? Uh, and Ethan, this week is going to be on Men From Moto, your podcast that you do with David. Let's plug that for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Um, most of my content can be found on, uh, non-stream content can be found at manadeprived.com. That's the home of the weekly draft videos that I do, as well as the, my normal podcast, Men From Moto, with my co-host David Seville. And we just kind of swapped the hosts this week. I thought that would be kind of fun. Um, if you want to find my Twitch information, I'm twitch.tv slash Simulin, and you can find me on Twitter under the same name at Simulin, S-E-M-U-L-I-N. Yeah. And if you have not, you need to go check out this man's stream. It's very, very straightforward, very logical, very practical, lots of great information, uh, and a lot of fun too. Uh, he's got, he's got great viewers, very kind person, very family friendly, absolutely a plus cannot recommend enough. Thank you, Ben. Yeah, absolutely. If you've got any feedback about the show or questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thank you, everybody, and see you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Lords of Limited.